when you like Gambino, let's not forget. Uh, I don't. I'll bring the plate back. We can't do whispering underneath too. That doesn't. No, that counts if it's food based. She was, clean, she was changing plates. We were at the plate change. All right, every sit down and we'll clean up. Do not clean during no, the show. I'm not cleaning. I just want to tell you. But show. that's a real Italian part of this. I know, but every time we come here, she's cleaning as she's trying to do the show. She's compulsively cleaning. Okay, okay, I'm done. Sit down and we'll, and we'll talk. See that you're born in Italian. Want your life to be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then to make you roly-poly You get stuffed with ravioli If your mama's a paisano We'll have the world on a plate So see that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Buonanno, everybody, and welcome back to the Italian American Power Hour. Happy New Year. Happy 2019. We are so happy to be back with everybody today. First podcast of 2019, and uh, I hope everybody had wonderful holidays, enjoyed the new year, and has rolled into it with a lot of blessing and success. I am your moderator, John Viola, and uh, today I am back here with the heart of our historic panel, because today... Uh, we are bringing to you for the first show of 2019 the much-requested fourth and final part of our Power Hour telling of the history of Italians in America, and this is our sort of work cited, our book list. So I'm here with uh, the two co-hosts that uh, we started this whole history mess together with, Pat O'Boyle and Dolores Alfieri, and uh, ciao, ciao. happy to be back, right? I like how you call yourself a moderator and mm. not host. Yeah, I feel like moderator seems more intelligent. That's <laughs> why <laughs> not, but I mean, you know, it's there, I guess. So. I think it's because we've kind of forced you into the role of moderator more than host. That's probably true, actually. You're yeah. more like reining in stray yes. wild horses. I feel like, uh, oh, for, 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 the, for the audience out there, if you guys, I hope, have all by this point listened to the first three parts of our history series and also... Uh, now, what was a wonderful two-part uh, story of Christmas Eve in the Italian-American community. And we got a lot of great feedback, and everybody's excited. But I can tell you, the, the recording of that show, which we did live here at the table, uh, over dinner, and great dinner, and a lot of homemade wine, I felt like Kermit the Frog. Because I was, it was <laughs> like, I was trying so desperately to put together a show, yeah. and the insanity of the Muppets was all around me. And I think... Uh, who are you calling a Muppet? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know no, 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 Let's back up. Uh, that that wait, night no, was no, that on. night was Muppet like. Yeah, but that was a night we rarely. Well, hold on, Muppets are very strong. Term. I think Muppets complimentary. First of all, they're very endearing. You do it's love a, the Muppets. I do a, love the Muppets. It's, yeah. it's a millennial compliment. Yeah, it's a millennial. Well, Muppets are older than they're the seventies. Yeah, no, so... I grew up with the Muppets. So did you? Yeah. Sure, but we didn't use it as an adjective. No, we were too young. <laughs> Oh, well, Muppet or not. We're a little, we have a little more civilized crowd today because there's fewer of us and it's, it's you know, we're a little calmer today. I just I just fed everyone so everyone's... Yeah, we've got a nice dose of food and, yeah. and a, just a touch of homemade wine and a Pellegrino bottle to make us even instead exactly. of crazy. And the topic is a calm one today too. Mm-hmm. I mean, for those of you out there uh, that there's have listened... There's no such thing as a calm Italian podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I, we, we don't, most of these shows get wacky. Uh, if you're out there and you've listened so far, we hope you've enjoyed the first three parts where we covered the history of the Italian-American experience or 
the experience of Italians in America everywhere from uh, 1492 until today. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of topics that we missed, and we look forward to taking deeper dives into some of the stuff we did cover in the future and uh, exploring some new aspects of our history. But I think as an overall simplified and uh, succinct version of the, the trends of our story, the reception and the feedback that we got was that people felt like it was a, a good exploration. Is that fair? You're talking about the history series? Yeah. 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 I, I, yes, that is fair, absolutely. And then you know what's really nice is that there's been a lag between the first three episodes of the history series and now this one because of holidays and, you know, we're doing other stuff on the show. But what's nice is people have actually been asking for part yeah. four, which is kind of rewarding because not only do they want to hear more, but they're, they actually listen and yeah. they, we, they know that we promised them a fourth part yeah, it's and great. they're being asked for it and they're, excuse me, they are asking us for it. So that's really nice. And it's interesting too, because we've been very clear from the beginning that part four is sort of like the bibliography right? and our I like that. That's a good way list. to put it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would have thought that that would have been sort of like, you know, I, you, I rarely like, read ah, the word cited. You know Nobody what I mean? wants, yeah. we don't want to hear that. But I'm looking forward to this because I think it's going to be really great for people to take a chance to hear what some of our favorites are, hear what's sort of pushed us in, in these studies because all of us are self-educated around our Italian-American history and... I think it's safe to say all three well, of us... Well, sure. We didn't learn it in school. That's for no, sure. No, you're not picking it up in the no. regular curriculum. And I, I think all that. three of us are voracious readers who are always seeking out new stuff. We're always exchanging. I mean, we walked in today, right? Me, Pat, Dolores. Each of us gave the other one books that we had picked up for them. So I found something for Dolores, and Pat brought that. And like, we, you know, we... This is part of our regular life, and that's what I love about this show. I'm so excited for the book you brought. Yeah, it's going to be a good one, Can't wait to read it. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fun. I, and I, of course, I haven't read it, but... Uh, I I'll think let you know. Sometimes I see books that I'm like, okay, this wouldn't necessarily be something I would read, but I know Dolores would or Pat would or fill in the blank. What would those books be? I'm curious. Like that syntax <clears throat> book that I gave you last or week. Or like the book you just gave me. Yeah. It's about Southern Italian women. And I know that's like an interest... A topic that he has an interest in, but I get it. It's different to have an interest and you want to know more than to like sit with a book and open it. It's a calculated efficiency for me because it's like, yeah, exactly. I, I want to learn about this, but I'm not going to read it. So I'll just give it to my friend who's smarter on the topic and let them teach me. And that's what I'll do. In I'll an hour you about after it. lunch. Yeah. So it's like when I go shopping, I see clothes that I like, but I know I'm not going to wear. They're yeah. not for me. Yeah. And you, it's just, and I'll sometimes I'll stand there and I'll debate trying it on. I'm like, why am I doing this? This is for somebody. I like it. But it, I'm not going to wear it, so just save your time and walk away. Yeah, but at the same time, I can't pass up these nuggets. What? It's of, the best analogy I've come up with. But it's true, though. Really, you know? <laughs> That's <laughs> looking at you like what? It's kind of deep. <laughs> <laughs> like you're looking at clothes you admire, but you would never wear. That sounds like yeah. some Hemingway type of. I just know they're going to hang in my she closet. She looked at clothes that she admired. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's good. So uh, you know, talking about books, because to me, before we even get into the actuals of this thing. I have to say, I think it's all safe. Uh, I think it's safe to say all of us are lovers of books. I was a kid. My father raised us with the understanding that, like, don't ask me for toys, but I'll buy you all the books you want. And I think by the time I was, like, 15, he regretted that (laughs) considerably because I was reading everything I get my hands on. Um, This kind of stuff, writings about the Italian-American experience, writings about... Italy and its history and sociology in the English language, it's a limited selection. What there is a lot of, and it's not something we're really going to necessarily cover uh, extensively here, there's a lot of self-published Italian-American stuff out there. 
people's experiences, their stories, their that's memoirs. A whole that's a whole episode. That's a that's a podcast. Whole, that's a whole series. Yeah. But I mean, if you're interested in this stuff, keep in mind if you if you go to the bookstore, I, I get frustrated because you go to a Barnes and Nobles or a local bookstore. Nine out of ten times, you see the same three books that you've seen for five years, and maybe one new one comes out every year or so. Can I interject? Well, yeah. While John is saying this, Dolores is eating brisotto. <laughs> I'm not making no sound. Yeah. And when you hear her go silent, she's eating more brisotto and blah, 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 and dried sauces, and John talks, and then she gets another piece of brisotto. Oh, God. In the this film, is taking pop- a bite when you said that. Right, absolutely. I've been Just swearing up and down. We're going to do these things in a professional setting and not around tables. We, well, no, really, and it's not. We're not playing. We're not playing to the to the. No, crowd this is real. Here. This is real. This is real. There's, I have walnuts in my plate, <laughs> chestnuts, <laughs> coffee, apple butter. I don't know where that came. from. <laughs> it's nice. The American, the American, and that's classy upgrade. Uh, we we are moving into a new studio next week, and uh, Do you don't have a refrigerator. I will make sure. A yes, kitchen? and, and, and a, a coffee machine. Yeah, but, 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 <laughs> a, but, but a hot a bakery. A hot, yeah, 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 the whole thing. I have everything for you. Don't worry. If you're coming in and doing this for me, I'll make sure. We should sure. do live episodes. Yeah, I would love to. What they're cooking? We'll have Rosella at the. I would love that. I would love to do live video episodes, but that's that's a digression. I'm sorry, to digress. I just want uh, to know. If you want to listen to this while you're eating brisotto and brisotto, <laughs> yeah, feel free. There'll be there'll be a communal aspect of. That was funny, Feel free to take out the food when you start listening to our show. Coffee's really good. All right, I gotta get back to where I was. Um, yeah, self-published yes. Italian American stuff. It's out there if you want to read it. Um, there's plenty of great ones, but you know, for us today, it's sort of more the mainstream works that are available and I don't know about you guys but I go every time I go into a bookstore and I go to the section that would have you know European history or whatever it is and I get to that uh, shelf and I get really frustrated by the fact that there's like 400 books on France and two on Italy but we're not people of the book yeah, mm. fair, yeah. Well, let's not kid ourselves we discussed this, this in, the, mm. in, in the history show Italy has horrible newspaper readership yeah it's like some of the lowest I think in Europe I was around I could say when the in the early years of Italian American Literature, self-publishing, and when it became, I guess, Italian-American as a subject matter. And a lot of Italian-American writers were coming out saying, listen, it's a culture that's not a bookish culture. And someone made a comment. It was at a NIAF conference, and I was blown away by it. It must have been in the mid-90s when they would have on the Saturday, uh, the uh, gala weekend. And one of, an Italian-American academic said that, and I saw this in my own life with my grandmother, Italians had a... a an aversion to books, especially from the classes that didn't have the opportunity for education, because to read a book, you have to go off in a corner and be yeah, quiet. Yeah. It's isolation. And isolation is antithetical to the Italian-American <laughs> culture. True, yeah. So why is Gino over there in the corner reading a book? Put that stupid book down and come over here. We have Brazut and Bravolone <laughs> on the table. True. So the aspect, now not, not in the higher end, because one thing I've learned about traveling to Italy a lot with stuff with the order is there was a rich, well-educated um, class in Italy that always existed, always has existed, um, and we never knew. Our, our ancestors didn't know because they were a separate world. Right. So they were the people that had the personal libraries and had produced people like Filippo Mazze and yeah. philosophers. But for the guy who's, who worked the fields and, and whose woman and wife tended the chickens and the pigs while he was out farming, they were A, they were illiterate, and B... The things that made them were reading books. Books weren't 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 um, economically achievable, right? And they separate you from the family. I mean, look at the, the founders of the United States. And if you go to someplace like Mount Vernon, 
what blows you away is that they would send all kinds of natural resources, trees and, and furs and pelts, back to England. And what would they get back in return? China caught them books. Yeah. And they're always talking about the books they're asking to get from England. And they built these huge libraries in their own houses. That's not part of who we are. And I think part of who we are is, A, we're, we're a, a people of uh, oral history. Um, I think another point is that, why do I care about somebody else's history? It's not mine. I think a problem with Italian-American literature is Italian-Americans didn't read books because they never had books that were written for them mm. or to an experience they could they could. Yeah, it's understand. like a chicken or the egg thing. Chicken or the egg. And someone said, we're a people that don't like stories getting out of the house. Hmm. So we're a people that likes to censor stories. We're hagiographical. Yeah. You know, we like the best possible side. Yeah. And to tell your story, you have to tell some stuff that we would, a.k.a. keep in the house, keep private. And you're kind of like... Um, Violating uh, that code of silence yeah. on family issues. You remind me of um, the when I first got to NIAF. And I know I referenced John Maggio's four-part documentary series every show we have. I promise you folks, he's not paying me for this. I, just, <laughs> I, I love John and I love the, the end result that he got. And I was really proud to be involved in it at NIAF because when I met with he and uh, his team at the beginning of... Uh, they had finished filming... And we're, we're going to bring this thing public. And we t- I was, like, super enthusiastic about getting NIAF involved. And they basically said to me, you know, all the community groups we met two, three years ago when we started this said, no, we don't want to be part of this, particularly if you're going to talk about the mafia at all. And he said, well, you're essentially refusing to tell your own story be- unless you can tell it in an edited way that makes mm-hmm. sense for you. And here, at now, years later, this thing's been out there, and it's, I think it's one of the finest pieces of work uh, on our history that I've seen. And it was made with no community support, even though all the other major organizations cool. saw the product beforehand, with the exception of the fact that by the time I got to NIAF, I decided, I think as a young person, this was something we had to get our name attached to. It was too late to get it on the front of the picture, we got to have it on the end as a special thanks. But we, we, we were media partners. We did a lot with them on the educational side. But it was a big risk to people because that's how we, we do edit our own story. And I want to say, when, I, when we talk about this book list, right, we could spend 20 episodes on the amazing works out there. And I don't want to take away from what does exist, those really wonderful, hyper-specific academic books that come from the Italian-American Academy and, you know, the, the Calandra Institute or, or the Italian-American Studies Association and those people who are writing really interesting stuff. But I'm, th- this book list is more sort of the stuff you might find at Barnes & Nobles. You know what I mean? Like, the, this is an intro book list, not a deep dive book list. We're going to give some very unique recommendations. So don't write us can nasty I, letters. Can I jump? Yeah, can I, yeah, I, yeah, I love a lot of this stuff. Can I jump in a minute? I mean, John and I have a, a love of books, and my family... Why am I not included <clears throat> in that? That's true. You're a huge... No, you are, but we, we've... That's not like you were no. trying to leave me Calm out. down. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that John and I, for many years, long before we knew you, with all due respect, had a book exchange, like... Um, well, I, no, 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 I'll say it because I'll go to Italy with John, and I'll buy <laughs> a tremendous amount of books, mm-hmm. especially in Neapolitan. I'll just... I was going to so everything up in Neapolitan, I'll just take. <laughs> and I have stacks and stuff. I mean, I, yeah. I have a library, right? I don't pass up a book on this topic. I buy anything. And I said to myself, I need to create a library, a, a room a for a library, idea. and a desk where, where I can just sit and read, right? 
And I thought to myself, is that being pretentious? And I said, no. I said, this is a practical thing I want in my life. But it's so countercultural because my family was, I mean, they all, everybody knows I'm whacked. I mean, you don't, I mean, you've listened this far, you know it already, but I want a library. And I want to, and, but I, I just think it's something that's not, if you take the Italian American dream house of the 60s, it's funny because before we started this podcast, we we're talking about Capo de Monte Lambs. <laughs> Um, a, a subject that keeps coming back. Well, it's Pat's favorite subject. <laughs> <laughs> Pat keeps bringing it up. <laughs> uh, we want to have a Capo de Monte lamp contest so that we answer. <laughs> we have Italian American old stock. So if you answer some questions, we're going to have a quiz show. <laughs> and we're going to give away like 1960s cheese curds. All new. Not used stuff. All yeah. brand new in the boxes that we're going to find in stores around the, the tri-state area. Ravioli makers from the 50s. <laughs> but to get back is that the, the Italian American, um, the, sh- the, the show house did not contain a library. Oh, sure. I mean, I mean, that's not a... We're not. We're really not people of the book when no. you think about it. No. Um, Traditionally speaking, I don't think it was a sign of status to have a, a library in your house. You know what I mean? It was considered weird. I mean, not weird, but just like, what are you doing with yeah. all these books? Yeah. I mean, my grandma never understood. Yeah. My grandma said to me, why do you get all yeah, these books Yeah, you guys are like for? talking about my life. I mean, this is, this is like in our Italian-American podcast. We did a two-part episode with one of the more famous Italian-American writers... Uh, alive or ever, uh, Gates at least, we went into this topic and he, I think, more or less agreed with you, but then went in to say that even as creative writers, I think now it's different, but you know, he's talking about historically and he points to everything you said, which is basically that in order to be a writer, you have to be alone, you have to be away from the family, you might even have to close the door. And to close the door, I mean, growing up, I wasn't allowed to, I wasn't allowed to close my door in my bedroom. <laughs> what that, are you doing in there? What do you, that was, ex- what are you doing door. in there? Doing there? And Se- it was, separating yourself is weird. It, separating, in Italian families, Italian-American families, separating yourself is weird. Yeah. And that's why writers, you feel weird. Growing up, I felt loved but, but, and part of my family, don't get me wrong, but I felt weird. There was something I was in the books between the books I had. My mom used to yell at me. What are you doing with all these my, books? My grandma said, uh, "She goes, what are these books? What are you going to do with all these?" Books? Yeah. My grandma say, "Read them and then give them away." Yeah. Oh, right. They would get like, rid of them. I would go to the library and buy them like used, and then she'd be like, "It smells in here." And I was like, "They're my books. Like they don't smell. They're books." But to her, and I say this with love, like exactly. It's because she comes say, from that. It's my grandma say, "Read it and get rid of it. Read it and get rid of it." Yeah. What do you need all what these you books need all for? for? But that, that's interesting because nowadays we're a community that does study itself a little bit, uh, certainly more than we did. We've got institutions like the Calandra Institute at CUNY, and we've got, you know... Sure, once we took to it, we, we, yeah, we, we really we're out of con- we, done we, it. We did it, yeah. absolutely. And there's some... And, I, you know, I worked with the Italian-American Studies Association for years at NIAF, and uh, every year we'd, we'd partner at the gala, or I'd go to their conference, and I would be thrilled by the... Uh, new books that were put out there because there's some amazing stuff like just so many interesting subtopics that uh, a person a, a person who's like us who who passionately devours this stuff can dig into deep 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 holes and I'm sitting here preparing this episode and thinking to myself like I want to list every book and I can't so today's really more about an intro reading list to share our highlights. Um, favorites and you know our more intro level recommendations with the readers, particularly around some of these topics that we talked about in the in the prior history series. And if you haven't listened to it, make a point to go back and listen to them because I think everybody has enjoyed them. So let me start here. I think it's safe to say everybody's going to have a couple 
But if you can disseminate down to me one book that you, if you were asked to give your recommendation for an Italian-American reader looking for one great read, what would it be? And I, I know where mine is to start, um, and this is a very hard sort of list to cut because this is not necessarily an Italian-American book, but I think my favorite book, it's a two-part history of the foundation of the Kingdom of Sicily by John Julius Norwich, and the two-part version is called The Normans in the South, and that's the combination of his two first books, and it's a brilliant, I love Norwich. Is it Norwich. still in print? Uh, it's long out of print. You can still get the two separate. They're still reprinting the two separate ones. But the one big together uh, combined version that he had slight edits to is out of print. And why it, would the, why would they? Because these are these are like me questions. Why was he? Why did he change it? Was there, was uh, there a reason? Or? No, I just think it was just a matter of saleability at some point, and he just put it into one can, volume. Can I ask you another question? Yeah. How do you think that reflects on the... Like, let's say you have someone who's listening who has family. Their interest is Puglia. Why would that book appeal to them if it's a book about Sicily? Well, it's not. It's about the Kingdom of Sicily, which until... Uh, that's my the question. Norman that's Kingdom, yeah, right. It's all of the south of Italy. Thank you for that. It's a history of the Normans really in the south of Italy. It was called the Kingdom of Sicily originally, which was the mainland possessions and the island, because that's where the, the, the crown itself what, came from. What did you learn from that book? Oh, I learned so much from that book. I mean, How did it change? What was the John before and after the book? Because I, I think that the the history of Southern Italy is so defined by its, you know, it was the only unitary kingdom, with the exception of Piedmont, which didn't become a kingdom until much later. You know, keep I, I you sort of think of the south of Italy, and you you don't have the same localized understanding as like the the uh, the city states up north or Venice as a republic, but the the, the Southern Kingdom. Was, uh, was was conquered by the Normans before the Normans conquered England. And, and 1130 was unified as a, a kingdom at a time when there was only you know France as a kingdom, England as a kingdom. Spain wasn't even a kingdom yet. And Il Reino you know, was, a, was a political uh, powerhouse at that time. It's this, this epic of glorious southern history where you know, Palermo, the then capital was probably realistically the most important city in Europe intellectually at the time. I mean, the combination of Latin Christianity from the Normans, the Greek Byzantine Christianity that was localized and indigenous in the south of Italy before it, the Latinization, the, uh, the large and very well-integrated Jewish and Muslim communities. If you don't forget, Sicily was a Muslim island for 200 years. And the Normans, to their amazing credit, these, these you know, originally Viking and then French um, adventurers, they had an amazing ability to integrate all these communities into a system that created some of the most um, open and scientific uh, cultural experiences in, in, in an entirety of... of uh, how come you never told me about this book? I know you all. I have years. so. I must have bought you a copy. I'm going to no, say that's surprising. Oh, I, I bought you a lot of copies of books. No, I, I want to have them all because now I want to read them. Yeah, I don't want to go home. I'll get it for you. I'll get it for you. Yeah, it's it's absolutely my favorite book. And Norwich is a is a British historian I've referenced before on the show. He just passed away, as a matter of fact. And one of the big disappointments in my life is I never got to talk to him. I always wanted to meet him. He is always said. Uh, he's not a historian. He's a writer. He's a storyteller. And he only started telling the story because he went to Sicily on his honeymoon. I mean, that's how 
amazingly lucky we are. That so he has, no, he has no Sicilian DNA. No, he's a, he's a Brit. Which is probably a better Way when better. you have an outside person. But, he, but, but the reason I found it so interesting was when, one of the things he said was he got there as a Brit and thought to himself, this island became Norman 50 years before we in England became Norman. And they, they have all these similarities. This you know, the island society. Uh, we could be England. You know what I mean? Like, we, do you think? Do you think Campania and the rest of it, Southern Italy had the same? Got the, were yes. affected as much? Yeah, because they were there before they were in Sicily. So Sicily became the capital, and Palermo was the capital because to conquer it back from the Muslim powers, it was a, it was an easy path to fame and legitimacy to take back lands for Christianity. But really, the, the kingdom started in Apulia. And the Normans were first in Apulia and Abruzzo, and then Campania, which was you know the, the Duchy of Naples, Duchy of Benevento, uh, Sorrento, the, the Amalfi, uh, all of these little city states. You know they they could Campania in those places easily could have gone in the same way as Northern Italy in these city states, but they all unified under the Normans. I never thought of that. So you're saying that the south of Italy wouldn't have really been the south of Italy. You might have had a unitary peninsula, and Sicily being the different place. Yeah. So. You're talking about uh, something that very much informs the Italian-American experience, this, this Southern Italianism, and this is the roots of it. So that's my favorite book. And Norwich wrote a bunch on Italy. He wrote a three-volume work on Venice. He wrote an, a history of just Sicily, uh, uh, not, not just the Normans, from the Greek period to today. It was his second-to-last book. Uh, he wrote a history of the Mediterranean Sea, which is brilliant. People should go out. I know what I'm getting from this. We people, Italian Americans, should go out and build a library. Well, I mean, look at if you want to educate your kids, build a library. Look at look at the library at at Seton Hall. I mean, the 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 Seton Hall Italian American Studies Library is absolutely you could live and die in that place. But this is what people need to do, and this is my favorite book. And I want to know yours. Seton Hall has an Italian American library. Oh, one of the best in the country. Probably the best. They're, I think they're tied with Princeton as far as Italian books. Is that right? If you said to me, you got like you know six months to live. What do you want to do with it? I'd say keep my wife close, feed me well, and let me die in that library because I would read everything in there. Really, that's true. And you I, know what? I believe you. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Sure. Why not? I believe that. I want. I want to die with like the the Normans in the South in my hands. That book not not being attached to the timeline is my sort of number one favorite. I could just reread it over and over and over. It's like eight nine hundred pages. Oh my god. Do you guys have a book that's your absolute you. favorite in this topic? In, in what topic? Italian, Italian-American history, studies, whatever. Yeah, so my... No, but I think we got to make it... Th- there's, um... <laughs> no, but I think because you asked me, I think there's a difference. A book on Italian-American studies and history is different than a... I want to say memoir, a... Okay, so let me say, uh, let me say it again. Yeah, like do, it's, do, a broad, yeah, it's a broad... Okay, yeah. do you have a favorite work that relates to the Italian-American experience? For me, this is... The foundations of the South are the foundations of our primarily Southern Italian culture. It's my favorite book. What's your favorite Italianish book? Me or, or either? Um, it's funny when you ask me this. I'm gonna say Leo Buscaglia's Papa, My Father. Hmm. I've never heard of this. You've never heard of Leo? It's, what is? It's a upstate Rochester. Leo Buscaglia. I'm gonna tell you my story, Leo Buscaglia, Papa, My Father book. Um, I have it in my queue somewhere, in some queue, like my Kindle queue or something, yeah. I think it's the most important, it was, I have a personal story with it. I bought Fred Gardafay's Italian American Folkways book. Yeah. And it had to be... Another great book. Early Mm -hmm. 90s. You've had Fred on the show. Fred's a member of the New Neighborhood. Yeah. Oh, Fred, Fred, if you listen to this, 
And I tell Fred this story all the time. And um, Fred's good people. It's a very small book. It's a very accessible book. And it was the first book that I ever saw on, it, on any, any subject matter Italian-American. I don't know where I got it. I know Ernie Rossi still has them. I think they're probably about... Uh, you talking about Fred's book? Fred's book. Yeah. Probably 30, There's some left old. at our Ernie's store. I read the book, and I had it hanging around. And my grandmother picked it up. And it was the first book that my grandmother in her 70s had ever read. No. Wow. Yes. And my grandmother, and I figured out at that That's moment... That's amazing. The reason my grandmother had never read a book was she never had a book that spoke to her. Yeah, yeah and that... Yeah. And she was, and then she's like, 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 and I'm honestly, she says, me, you have other books. And but she was like interested in other books. And then I was, I was like, oh my God, I can get her, I can, I can get books that she's going to read. And I, and I got Leo Buscaya's Papa, My Father. My mother had given it to me for Christmas. I don't know where she found it. Um, again, this is like the early nineties. Um, and my grandmother read it. And I was blown away. And my grandmother called up her sister and I was telling her about the book. And the reason they were talking about it was because my grandmother could relate to Leo Buscaya talking about her father. She could, re- she could relate to her own father. And that's when I, I thought to myself, Italian-Americans don't read because people haven't written books that they understand, that connect speak with right. them, speak yeah. to them. After that, I, was, I, I would get these small very simple English reading books, maybe three or four more she read in her whole life. And she would take pieces of paper towel and put them in the books, the parts that she thought was interesting. Wow. And she would tell her sister about them, right? And I think uh, my grandma definitely didn't have more than a sixth grade education. Um, so I'm trying to say is that that was, she never was in a world of books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Good Day New York. It had to be 1992, maybe about then. We were watching Good Day New York, and Gay Talese came on with One to the Sons. And I was like, I was like pinned to the TV watching um, Gay Talese. And I remember mentioning it. My grandma said, do you want that book? And she had my mother go out and buy me the book for Valentine's Day, and she surprised me. And I was shocked because my grandmother was like, why would you spend money on a book like that? Get it from the library and give it back. But I think that we had turned the corner and she had understood a little bit of why I was so into reading yeah. as opposed to before. So I think Fred Gardafay's book has a very special uh, meaning to me, mm-hmm. an emotional meaning to me. Um, and I think I would say Leo, um, Leo Buscay is Papa, my father. What, what is the book about? Um, a man's relationship with his Italian-American father. Mm. And Leo Buscaglia, um, I think he, I don't know if he was a psychiatrist or a psychologist, um, but it was just, it was the Italian-American family type no. love narrative, which today is everywhere. Yeah. You know, like we said, we, we, we swim down an ocean of Italian-American memoirs, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. But I think when it came out in the late 80s, it was kind of revolutionary. Wow. Because I think part of it was, um, if you take Italian-Americans portrayed in media, Probably into the 70s and early 80s, the Italian tight-knit family was kind of painted in the non-Italian world from being a little bit odd to a little bit kooky to a little bit suffocating. To a little bit sinister. Uh, and I think he came back and said, look at the good, look at the love I got from my father. Wow. I think it was the first time somebody had painted the, con- at least in my experience, I'm sure there's somebody out there who has someone else coming to the, the um, being first out of the gate with that, but I think Leo Buscaglia... 
said, yeah, this is how you see us, but this is who we really are. Hmm. I got to read it. I've never even heard of it. Uh, more and more of a reason for a book club. I wish we could have a book club. I'm I mean, shocked. I'm shocked you being you had never heard of that book. No. Never heard of it. Well, I think, again, and as, a, as we go through this conversation, I think there's a lot of early pioneers in Italian-American literature who've already are in a phase where people don't know who they are because yes. so much time has elapsed. Yes, that's true. You should read that book, Dolores. I would love your take on it. Yeah, I have it um, in a list. It, it's based in Rochester. Am I close? I don't remember. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's, it's a very small book. And it was seven, no, seven stories about. of Christmas love. Maybe that's how. I mean, you know what? Let me go back and tweak that. I think my mother bought me a book, Seven Stories of Christmas Love, written by Leo Buscaglia, and it had Italian-American themes in it, and then we went and got Papa, my father. Hmm. Dolores, okay. what's yours? So this is a tough one, because we're not talking about, um, we haven't really talked about novels yeah. or memoirs, I think, in terms of just capturing experience. I think Adriana Trigiani, of course, is Shoemaker's wife, um, and, and, and pretty much most of her work. Yeah. She is like the figurehead of capturing in fiction our stories and our nature. Uh, Maria Lorino's Were You Always an Italian? That's one on my list. Yeah, is a terrific memoir about uh, identity and and also this struggle for us Italian-Americans, like first, second generation of who are we and how do you take this very ethnic identity and still be accepted in the American Mm -hmm. culture? But in terms of history and identity, for me, um, Richard Gambino's Blood of My Blood. Oh, that's what I was waiting for. Because yeah. as he was talking about yeah. Papa, my father, and, and being early in the experience, I was thinking to myself, Richard Gambino's Blood of My Blood might be really the first deep dive into who we are and right. why. Yeah, I would say, personally, that if you were looking for an explanation of Italian-American Identity, not an exploration, but mm. an explanation. Yeah, that's good. How, why are we the way we mm-hmm. are? Why were your parents and your grandparents the way they were, the way you remember them growing up? What impacted us? What affected us? Blood of my blood is, that's what it's about. And when I first read Blood of my blood, which was, which is not very long ago, I didn't read it like 20 years ago. I mean, in the last like two years, mm. I think at least, I couldn't believe I was holding a book Again, to my point about chicken or the egg, I was holding a book that talked to me about me yeah. and my family. And it was published in the 70s. And, I ju- and why did I just read it two years ago? Me, like this yeah. Italian-American <laughs> geek. I just came across Blood of My Blood two years ago. That's my point. Well, I, I only why read, didn't I know about it sooner? I, I only read... You know me. I'm on Amazon and eBay and every website you can find in but garage sales. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm buying gonna... everything. I only read Blood of My Blood... I only read Blood of My Blood last year. See? And three pages into it, I stopped, folded the book. I had highlighted almost everything. And I went to my dad. I happened to be at my parents' place upstate. And I'm like, Dad, we got to read this together. Like, it, it, it is it is absolutely one of the finest books but, yeah, I mean, go up. What's, com- what's coming to me now is I think that the a lot of the Italian Americans who did have tertiary college educations, where they were in the world of literature, a didn't have exposure to literature that was written by the members of the tribe. I think some of them want to walk away from it as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But I think that Gambino's book is so honest and so like there's a vulnerability that he brings to the table in self exploration that uh, it, it just it, to me. 
That's a, that's like a must read. That should be on the you. If yes. you want to join the club, it's a must read. You must read. It. I'm gonna read the first paragraph of the preface. Yeah. So I'm opening it to the basically the first page after the acknowledgments. This book is an interpretation of a people, Italian Americans. Although it draws upon many historical, sociological, and other scholarly sources, it is a personal interpretation. The book represents my view of my people. I have included many personal experiences, but only those which years of study have convinced me are typical and illustrative of the Italian-American saga. By checking the objective record with my own experience, I have tried to heed the wording of an old Italian saying, traditore, traditore, translator, traitor. <laughs> By wedding my experience to the written records, I've tried to be true both to the life of individuals I know and to the story of millions of others. Equally important, I've tried to capture not only the story, but the warm, turbulent, and thriving soul of Italian-Americans, a much misunderstood and often maligned people. And I've done so as passionately as a Sicilian-American as much as a writer. In the end, I have tried to present a life, not an apology, a caricature, or an idealization. I mean, that says it all. That's right? the book. Translator, traitor, but this has to be done. And, and he's saying... I'm telling you this is my interpretation, yeah. but I've checked my interpretation yeah. against the experiences of the record and tons of people I've known and tons of people have interviewed, which is really, I feel like what we do on the show. It's yeah. like our experience, but you're bringing in what you've read, what you've heard, all the people we meet and all the experiences we have to present, not an apology, not a caricature. We're not, we never try to like sanitize or whitewash. We're not a perfect people, yeah. but you're, you're giving an honest hot-blooded portrayal of the people, like who we are. And, and that, we are misrepresented, and we are often maligned. And we well, are, I, I think part of it is we're in this continuing journey of defining what makes us us. Yeah, that's the crux of the show, and that's what Gambino's talking about. We always, we always joke about we're all crazy, and that's why we're together. But the truth of the matter is that craziness is what Pat Harrison, the co-chair of NIAF, calls the secret sauce. That's what I thought of when I proposed the idea for the power hour was like discussing and dissecting and digging into but, what makes us so uh, self-identified and together like but the, 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 the reason I bring up is that when you put when you hit the nail on the head which it brings into the conversation is that if you take 200 years ago every aspect of regions in Europe was distinct like people had distinct what people call like um, folklore costumes were the everyday clothing of of, a, of an area, of a people. And now you're in a world where anywhere in the world, pe people dress the same, basically. Yeah, you know, like If you take someone, if you take an Italian who, who came to America visiting in the 80s, they, they dress in a very starkly different way than Americans. Do they still have their own look? Sure, but it's much more muted and no, much absolutely. more assimilated. It's a globally homogenized It's a global. So as we're now. entering a globally homogenized world, what makes us, us? Yeah. That's the whole experience. That's... That's the reason for the show, and that's what these books in many cases are about. I mean, Gambino, let's not forget, Gambino wrote another phenomenally important book, which is Vendetta, right? It even was made into an HBO movie. He wrote uh, the book, that movie? Yeah. Was, I didn't even know he that. He wrote Vendetta. Oh, that's, I'm literally picking up my phone phenomenal. and adding it to my Amazon oh, list right now. amazing history. You've read it? Yeah, Is it about the history of Vendetta? Uh, uh, no, 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 no. 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, it's about New Orleans. It's about the New Orleans yeah, yeah, lynchings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's an incredible book, and it was made into an HBO movie not that long ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Right. Um, about the lynchings in New Orleans in eighteen ninety one, uh, the Sicilian Americans, which we also covered in this uh, series, and it's he's someone that we should bring on to the show, and I think. If we can get to him, if you're listening out there, Mr. Gambino, we'd love to I have you. I tried once. Uh, we're going to keep trying because he is got to be an amazing character. I, I really. That's, he might just be older, and it might be a little hard to get to him. But we can we keep trying. We'll give it a shot. Mm-hmm. But I, I think if those are everybody's number one recommendations, I think they're all great. Let's go into the timeline a little bit because returning to my theme about the Italian American story starts with the history of Southern Italy. I think it, that's you know it's eighty seven percent. We always talk about that. Everybody here that is not Southern Italian, uh, I promise you we respect Northern Italian history. There's some great stuff. But I'm talking to an audience that uh, I think primarily uh, comes from a Southern Italian background. And for those of you out there that are not aware, we have an amazing group called The New Neighborhood available on Facebook, which is a membership group that you can join. And you can be part of ongoing discussions with us. We exchange photos. uh, We exchange stories. We have... um, Long-term conversations ongoing that go conversations. on, ongoing conversations, and Pat and I recently joined, and Rosella recently joined, and it's a great place to interact with us and dig deeper into these topics. And one of the posts on there that has had a very long life that I'm really excited about is we, Pat and I, are huge proponents of the book Teroni, and we espouse it wherever we go. I think Pino Aprile, in his first ever objective, numeric-based, history-changing um, exploration of the quote-unquote unification of Italy, um, it's, like an, uh, it's like an evangelical tool for me. And we talk about it a lot on the show, and it came up in the New Neighborhood, and a bunch of members of the New Neighborhood, uh, and those of you out there who are listening to this one, uh, who are in the New Neighborhood, who picked it up, I hope you're making your way through it so we can all discuss it further. But I bet like a dozen people are reading it at this mm-hmm. point, and... That is a book that I think needs to be very, very high on the must-read list for Italian-Americans because it's going to give you a whole different sense of why we came here right? and what drove this community uh, in the South to leave in such huge numbers uh, after Italian unification. That's a very, very important book. But I think a couple of books on Southern history that are really interesting that I can recommend, obviously Tironi is a modern book that's, that's from a different perspective, that is a Southern Italian perspective, not an Italian-American perspective. Norwich's works on the, the history of the South are uh, m- deeper and, and, and further away history than we are now. There's two great volumes by uh, Lord Acton called The Bourbons in Naples and The Last Bourbons of Naples and the history of the Bourbon period from 1735, 1734 really, to 1861. And Acton's great-great-grandfather was a prime minister in the Kingdom of Two Sicilies during that time, and they're phenomenal books. And, and the first volume has been reprinted a bunch of times. The second volume uh, only was printed once, so it's a little bit harder to come by. But they're out there. They're on Amazon. They're on eBay. I highly recommend picking them up because the Bourbon period is not only precedes unification and the end of independence and, and uh, when we start to come here, but it's also the uh, after the Norman period, the epic of Southern Italian history. We, we, at that point... People forget, you know, under the Bourbons at the Paris Exposition in 1855, uh, the Kingdom of the Sicilies was recognized as the third most industrial country in the world um, after the UK and France. So you're talking about 
very, very important history. There's also a great book by Tom Astorito from Georgetown called uh, Between Saltwater and Holy Water, History of the South of Italy. I have that one. That's a great, that's a great mm-hmm. book. I, I really highly recommend that. Yeah, so far, John, home run. Yeah, the, this is a good list, right? Um, and I also think that while it's, again, not necessarily uh, Italian-American, from a literary perspective, it's probably the most important novel in Italian in the 20th century, and it's about the end of the South. Which is the leopard? Have you guys read the I leopard? I have not read the leopard, oh, but I know it's your favorite. I need to read it. You, yeah. I know you love that book. You got to read, read it. Yeah. What's your take on the leopard, the book versus the versus the leopard, the movie? I'm not crazy about the movie, to be honest. It's beautifully you shot. Never are when you love the book. I also don't like old movies. Really? Yeah, I know. I'm a history oh my fanatic. Gosh. I know. That's so surprising. I don't love old movies because they feel more theatrical they and are. staged more and, and more dramatic mm-hmm. to me. And I am uncomfortable with them. And they're I, like histrionic. I don't like Italian movies dubbed into English. And most of the versions of The Leopard that I find are dubbed into English. I've watched it in Italian. But it's just a little stilted to me. It, it doesn't have... I don't know. It doesn't... I need to read it just because of how the much you love it. Is the book different movie? Yeah, you know what? The, the movie's a, a pretty good uh, facsimile of the book. I mean, it's not like a huge divergence. The story doesn't change. They, they, it's a long movie. They cover most of the scenes. But the book... You know, the book, for those of you who don't know, The Leopard is the story of uh, the Prince of Selina, which is um, a fictitious version of Giuseppe uh, Tommaso de Lampedusa's great-grandfather, who was the last in a noble line, or he, Lampedusa was the last prince of Lampedusa. He died childless. But his great-grandfather, I believe it is, was the prince, the, the, the aristocratic prince, not a royal prince, at the time of the end of the Kingdom of Two Sicilies. And this is the story of the Princess Selena, who's the fictitious version, uh, living through the really end of his family, his aristocratic family, the end of the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, and the beginning of the Kingdom of Italy, and this idea, as they say in the book, the most, I need fam- to read that. The most famous line, for things to stay the same, they must change. Mm. And uh, it deals with the end of the Is that world. where that line is from? Yeah, that's where from. His nephew says it to him in the book. And it's, and it's wow. amazing because it, it actually touches on a lot of this stuff in Tironi, because the, the one scene that's been cut out of the movie is the prince going to see King Ferdinand in Naples. And uh, th- this, there's another scene where, after Italy's unified, he can't deal with this idea that the old aristocracy's gone and it's this new bourgeois, you know, a middle class of bureaucrats that's running things. So the guy who used to be like uh, a nobody is now the mayor and he's got the bow tie and the top hat and his tail coat is wrong. And the prince sees this as like an abomination. And they bring out three um, three different types of um, alcohol to toast. One's green, one's white, and one's red hmm. for the tricolor flag, and they offer it to him. And he, in an act of defiance, picks the clear drink to represent the bourbon white because that's his, that aristocratic southern history is his, and the tricolor's not. And it's just, it's so phenomenal of an Did exploration. Did you just the book for us, though? No, 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 no. Okay. The book is, is, you'll love the book, but... That scene to me says a lot about how it relates to us and the end of the South and and our immigration here. So, highly recommended. Those are kind of my list of Southern Italian must-reads. Well, until we did the um, three-part history, before you guys were, you know, part of the podcast family, let's say, um, and we just had you guys on. Oh, you're referencing the three-part history of the yeah, South. Yeah, the South. Yeah. That was a that was a huge. Uh, what was it? The hidden history of the yeah. of of the. South of Italy? Of the South of Italy, yeah, or something like so. that. 
until we had started having those conversations uh, beforehand, which led to me um, wanting to do a series on it, I didn't know any of that. Yeah. I didn't know. We, you, no one. No one. You, no one. I don't even know. if I, I have to ask my mom one day. I don't even know if my parents know. Probably not. Do you know what I mean? That's how... That's how not aware we are of who we are and where we come from. And that has to do something to you yeah, psychologically so. and emotionally. I think so. I mean, I think that all, I mean, I don't want to delve too much into our character, but that's part of, that's what this show's about. Um, I think that um, so much of our culture and history that we celebrate is actually, what we're really talking about is like values and family and traits. Mm-hmm. So the actual history, the, the bookish history, the the the, big, the capital H history, the, yeah. the big people history, we sort of pass under that. Yeah, that's you know a good I mean? point. Like, Actually, that's it, everything wow. passes up much more intimately. I didn't really think of it that way, but you're right. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, there was war. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. was famine. Yeah, yeah, there was uh, invasion. But what happened to the family? Yeah. Did That's we right. stay together? Did we survive? Correct. Did yeah. we eat? Yeah. Were we still a family? Yeah. It, What's it, our history? We're very localized, wow. and we That's always talk about campanilismo and this localized. Well, but even more importantly, is the family. If you go to Italy and you visit a small town, and you're a guest of honor, the mayor will bury you in gifts of books about the town. Yes, that's true. So the book will be about, okay, the church bell tower in the 10th century. <laughs> yes, you're right. Yeah. And it'll be a magnum opus on every brick that was laid. So there's a there's a respect, even in the south of Italy, for a hyper-local local. history. Everybody knows the local history. Yeah, but nobody cares about the bell tower in the next town over. No, you're absolutely right. It could be China. It could be, you know, Pango Pango. Yeah. But I think that that's, it just shows there's, a, there's an interest... And people in the south of Italy who are not into history will care about the history of right, the bell their tower own history. in yeah. their yes. town. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, you know, do you, do you have a list you're going through right now? Yeah, I'm going okay, through go time frames. I will listen. Yeah, I think it's nowadays that we're, which is why I love this community because it's so evergreen. Like we keep digging. There's so much more for us to dig into. Um, an author, while we're talking about the south, who's become a friend is Lou Mendela, who's a Sicilian-American from Rochester, New York, who moved back to Sicily and writes prolifically on Sicilian history and, might I add, writes excellently. And, Lou, if you're out there listening, you know I love your work. Uh, I could recommend everything Lou's written, but my favorite is that it's called The Kingdom of Sicily, and it's another take on the history of Sicily. This is not the kingdom of Sicily uh, in just the Norman period. It's everything uh, from... 1130 when the Normans founded the kingdom to 1860 when it was taken over by the Piedmontese and it's another phenomenal book on the south but but the south is clearly where I think the story starts but then you, you, you do have some amazing works on the Risorgimento um, you know The Force of Destiny La Forza del Destino uh, written by Duggan um, you have the Red Shirt and the Cross of Savoy which is a book that I found um about the Risorgimento by George Martin, and it covers like 1748 to 1871. It's a really good take and really easy to read and digest, and it's it's long out of print, but it's well worth picking up um, because it's it, it's it's a really good sort of explanation of what the Risorgimento was not just, not really politically, but but sort of the how it happened, the, the structures and the battles. Um, there's David Gilmore's The Pursuit of Italy which is a history of Italy, the land, the people. It's kind of got that same 
um, long-term take on the take on the idea of Italianness that led to the unification. So some really really good works out there that I highly recommend if you want to learn about how Italy became a right. country because that is important because we'll, again that that we'll affects list us. all these in the show notes so people yeah. can easily access them. Yeah, that, that they'll definitely be there. Um, but then of course you get to the the works on our immigration here and some of the overarching stories and the early stories, you know, uh, I think it's, you have to include La Storia in this, right? That's, um, one of, if not the first book I ever picked up about not Italian stuff, but something that was very Italian American. And I hadn't really come across anything like that before. And I remember I was going to Italy with my parents. I think I was probably in my early twenties, late teens or early twenties. And, uh, was reading it. I can remember being in my aunt's house in Italy, like at night, everyone going to sleep and me reading La Storia. And it was the beginning of me realizing that, um, I wasn't Italian because growing up, you'd be like, Oh, we're Italian. We're Italian. We're Italian. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I wasn't what my friends were. I was something else and I didn't know what that was. And then I started to realize it was this like hybrid identity. Third road. I always yeah. say we're like this third yeah. culture out of the two. Yeah. It, it's, it, for those who haven't read La Storia, it's, it's Jerry Mangione and Ben Moriale's uh, work uh, subtitled Five Centuries of the Italian-American Experience. They do cover from Columbus to today. And, it, and it's interesting because for me, it was one of the first pieces that sort of took me out of a very localized Understanding, I, I kind of assumed all Italian Americans were like me, New York Italians with Southern roots, and La Storia really does f- cover everybody. Yeah, where we all over the country, from all parts of Italy, everything from the explorers to today. It, it, it's I mean, it's super dense, but it's a fantastic resource and one that I think is an, is an enjoyable read for people too because it, it it covers a lot, but it doesn't do it in a way that feels encyclopedia like. Yeah, it's like a, more like a story. Yeah, hence uh, the title. I think I, I really, I really enjoy it. I think that's it's a, readable. It's, it's very, not, readable. it's not dry. Yeah, um, you know, there's there's obviously um, a lot of work on the vast Italian American experience that is important. Um, but I think La Storia is is definitely a great starting point if you want to jump in. I also think you know we mentioned Maria Lorino and and her work where you always in Italian, which I think is phenomenal. And I've told her that in any of my interactions with her, I read it when we moved when I was growing up and we had moved to Jersey. Mm. And it's about her yeah. growing up in Short Hills, New Jersey, mm-hmm. not far from where I grew mm-hmm. up, where she felt like the only Italian mm-hmm. and I felt like the only Italian in Chatham. Um, so I love it. But Maria also wrote. Well, the, she felt even more so. She felt. Other, yeah, because of her Italian, which is something you don't think about if you don't know your history, you don't think that um, at any point your um, predecessors, let's say, or people in your family, or you could have ever felt like an other, right? Other is reserved in this day and age for 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 different other ethnic groups, quote unquote. But as Italian Americans, there was very much a period where they you could feel like an other. I know that my siblings felt like other. Oh, I mean, Maria's not old. I mean, Maria's a young lady. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's uh, a generation or a half yeah. generation she's before us. But, but like, she's not, yeah. But she's not an old, you know, mm-hmm. gray hair. No. This is a very pertinent story not that long ago. Yeah. And, and I related to it very much. I thought of my sister a lot. So I, th- I think I've talked a lot in the show about how my siblings are like 10 years older than me, more or less, give or take a couple years here and there. So we're the same generation, 
physically, but we're not. You know, it feels yeah. like different generations. Yeah. And when I read uh, Were You Always an Italian, I thought of my sister a lot. And the things that Maria writes about, I can kind of, in hindsight, see my sister in her own way struggling with at, at that time. And, and the wanting to be, to not have this kind of stigma and not be made other and narrow, like uh, marginalized. Yes. Um, and called bad names, like, you know, stink, like, like you smell. But also not want to run hairy. away from it either because and you then, love it. Like, and then not weird, wanting like, to run away from it. Duality. It's that, it's that great, this is a totally different generation, an earlier one, but that part in the Italian-American series where Gay Tully says you would go to school with these lunches that were so different than yes. everybody else's and you kind of just wanted to steal off by yourself yeah. and be alone so you could just... Like ravage your yeah. lunch and eat it like you. You didn't want the bologna sandwich the other kid had, but you didn't want to eat. But you your, didn't want to eat yeah. the the whatever the veal piccata put between two yeah. uh, slices of Italian, Italian bread. bread. But you wanted to eat the veal piccata put between yes. you know you wanted to just mow it down because yeah. you knew it was so good. This is such a complicated uh, to me. Yes, it's agreed, and it's that's a beautiful part but, in but that I series when he are, says that you get it. Yeah, if absolutely. You take Italians in other places. Your identity. I don't know how to explain this. Um, well, this is a whole other episode in <laughs> itself. But if, you're, if your identity is connect, if it's an, a fractured identity where you're not part of us. See, I, I've said this. When I went to Argentina, I was blown away because how un-Italian it was. I expected, you know, it's 52% Italian population. I thought it's it was 57. 57. Um, I mean, this is a whole other episode. Yeah. I don't want to go off on tangent, but I just feel that yeah, Argentina say, had a very... Let's come back on this because this is a good episode. You know what? You know what? Know who we're going to bring in on this? Italian Argentinians. We're going to have an Italian Argentina episode. When, when we, Can we have, go to San Luis. When we, yeah. when, when, we, when, we, when, we when we sell T-shirts, one of them is going to just say, "This is a whole other episode." Yeah, that's, and that's, our, that's our tagline because everything this we talk about episode. does this. Yeah. Uh, all right, but coming back to these books on the greater Italian American experience, and for example, La Storia, like we talk about, and we talk about Maria Lorino. Because Maria also wrote the companion book for the Italian-Americans, the PBS series. And that book in and of itself is great because a lot of the story that they told, and I think the way they told it and the historical episodes they chose to go into, um, which they came up with together, her and John Maggio, the director, uh, it's a great arc. It's a great story arc. And they picked some really interesting stuff. And Maria did a phenomenal job. In putting that book together, and I think everybody should go out and get it. It starts with the family, and in Rosetto, Pennsylvania, for a reason. Yes, it's not an accident. I, I because that's that's the heart of our culture. Are right we there. doing the book club? We need to do a book club. We do need to do a book club. It's hard to get everybody to read at the same time. Just, you should be. The, we're going to. We're making a lot of. Amici, we're making a lot of changes in 2019, and we're going to bring in some new bandwidth, and we be able to do things like book clubs. So thank you for your patience, but it's it's going to happen. All these things will it's happen. It's coming. But I think that if there's not a book club right now, at least this episode serves as a introduction. And if you do go out and read these books, I hope everybody out there does, please write to us about it. Join the new neighborhood. Uh, not only are you able to instigate and lead and participate in conversations like this and dig deeper into these things, we're all on there on a daily basis. But at the same time, your uh, financial support for membership goes to fund this show. So right. if you if you believe in what we're doing and if you want to dig deeper, take the opportunity to become part of something great and to support what we're doing and join the new neighborhood. Visit italianneighborhood.com. Yeah, visit italianneighborhood.com for more info and become a part of this movement and this family and this neighborhood. Um, 
And one of the other things I, I think is interesting is as we do this list, some stuff that's long out of print um, that people would be interested in. Some of it's hard to get, but well worth it. There's a guy named Giovanni Schiavo who wrote these amazing books, one of which is Italian-Americans Before the Civil War, which is, as we covered oh, in the wow. first episode, a completely lost segment of the history because it's before our mass immigration. But Schiavo had his own publishing house here in New York um, through like the 20s and 30s. And he wrote some unbelievable stuff uh, that I think is, is highly, highly valuable. And Italian-Americans Before the Civil War, to me, is the best. There's also Howard Mararo. I've never read that. I mean, yeah, nobody has. Is it about the... Is it about Italian Americans, like Italian American culture, and the arrival of Italians? And, yeah, and, and, from and, the, and the story from before, Columbus to the Civil War. So, in before the uh, in the, the 19th mass century, migration, the, yeah. the ends at the 19th. Yeah. it's wow. fascinating. Our our effects that is on pretty fascinating. Our effects on um, the American Revolution and the story of Salvatore Catalano that we talked about, and uh, the early explorers or the uh, settlers to the Midwest and the West. I mean, stuff that just doesn't always make the the part of the story because so few of us were here at the time but it was a, it's a, it was a great work and it's, it was only printed back in I think the 30s or 40s so it's a rare book but if you can get it nowadays with these books on demand you can get copies of it but you got to get it and there's another author that I love called Howard Mararo who was a scholar in New York uh, through like the 40s and 50s and he wrote works like American Opinion on the Unification of Italy um, the diplomatic relations between the United States and the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies. And he was a uh, phenomenal deep diver into these really interesting topics that oftentimes get lost. So I, I highly recommend if you can go out and put together a collection with those two often under-celebrated authors of our experience, you should go out and do it. Um, I mean, you know, these, these, these overarching books, there's so many of them. And I think La Storia, Maria Lorino, what I, I think we have to do is this episode could be a thousand books. We're going to put a, an expanded list in the new neighborhood so people can see little summaries of some of the stuff that we may not be discussing. But I want to get into some of the deeper dive than just the overarching story. And a book that we have on the table here, Dolores brought in that I think all of us can agree is one of the best ever, and we've talked about it before, and we talked about it in episode two of the history series, is the Madonna of 115th Street. I think Orsi did so much for our community with that book. Uh, he's like a, he's like a, both, I think, in his person and in his work, uh, an ambassador for us. Yes. A type of person this group can really respect, which is, you know, uh, teaching in the hallowed halls of Harvard. Yeah. Um, as an Italian-American, yet unafraid to identify with his heritage and, and make his career off of writing about of Catholicism, of course, but but also rooted in Italian-American Catholicism. Yeah. And we really love people like that who, you know, they're, they're out there in the world uh, in the big times, right? But they're, they're not afraid to identify with their, ide- their, their Italian identity as well. And they're bringing us out there with them. You exactly. Know? Love, they take us I with them. I love that idea of the Italian yeah. that's got the whole story with them. And like, you know, in the, in the episode where we talk about our Catholicism and our relationship to the Irish, which is the context that it's most frequently uh, explored, you know, we try to talk about it from a non-regional uh, perspective, so we really talked in greater themes. But if you get into the hyper-specifics, the Madonna on 115th Street is immensely important to our community. And Pat, you're the expert. Tell the story in summary. In, all right. <clears throat> in the early 
18, in the 1870s, it was a number of people from Pola, which is in the Valle di Diano, an area that John and I know very well in Salerno, southern Salerno, that uh, emigrated to New York, and a large colony settled in uh, East Harlem, which in the 20s would become the largest Italian-American community. Um, they had a devotion to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, who was the patroness of Pola. So they began out of the, the yard of their tenement to hold a celebration on July 16th, which is the patronal feast day of Pola, the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, with a picture that they had. Um, and when the Palatines, Palatine priest was a relatively new order of the Catholic Church at that time, Our Lady of Mount Carmel would become their first uh, foundation in the New World. A German priest was assigned, a Palatine priest, first Palatines in America, to set up a parish in East Harlem. And he was to cater to the Italians, and um, part of his capacity to cater to the Italians was that he had studied in Rome, and though even though he was German, he spoke Italian. And he took this devotion that are of, of, to Our Lady of Mount Carmel that the people in East Harlem from Pola had, and because Our Lady of Mount Carmel was ubiquitous in the south of Italy, it became a neighborhood devotion. And he named the church Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Um, and simultaneously, the people from Pola ordered a statue, an effigy statue from, from Italy. Now, what's an effigy statue? In the south of Italy, there are uh, statues which are basically mannequins, which are dressed with uh, wigs with either real hair or silk hair. Sometimes women would make vows and would donate their hair. And they have actual um, dresses, actual vestments, real, real clothing. Uh, a good example would be Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Melrose Park for people in Chicagoland who are listening. And the Church of Our Lady of Mount Carmel was created. The neighborhood exploded with an Italian population, and the church and the devotion to Our Lady of Mount Carmel became the glue that held everyone together. Because the devotion to Our Lady of Mount Carmel is probably the mo more Italian parishes are named Mount Carmel yeah. than any other, because it was something everyone could agree on. Our Lady of Mount Carmel became the epicenter of the Italian community in East Harlem, which in the 20s was the largest Italian-American community in the country. Do you think it's because they could all, because like you said, there's always a, there's a, a Marono Rogamina in every town, more or less, that's like 100%. something they could, they could bond around? Sure, because, correct, because if, yeah. you're, if you're from Abruzzo, right, if you go to Philadelphia, St. Gabriel's very popular. Yeah. Why? Because Phil, uh, Philly's full of people from the Abruzzo, and St. Gabriel's popular in the Abruzzo compared to maybe Santa Rosalia in Sicily. Mm. Right. Mount Carmel was something that bound up the entire south. two Sicilies, yeah. the south. So the Palatines turned the parish into a shrine. So people from all over the country, I mean, there's stories of people getting on trains in Chicago wow. and Massachusetts going all the way to Manhattan um, to pray at this church. And what happened was the German Palatine Superior traveled to Rome and they asked Pope Leo XIII if he would pontifically coronate the image of Our Lady of Mount Carmel east, in East Harlem. Um, Be because of all of the miracles that were attributed to the statue. Yes. There, is a, there was a practice that continued up into the Second Vatican Council where um, in the 1500s a Roman noble had left a quantity of gold to the canons of the Vatican Basilica. And they were empowered by this count with this goal that if a statue, an image was proved to be miraculous, I mean, not the image itself, but that the, yeah. the devotion to that, the faith that came from people praying in front of this image was so strong that this was a holy place. 
that the image could be called miraculous because miracles happened at this place, that the place was holy, and that the image could be incarnated with gold crowns. Um, but one of the requirements was antiquity, that the devo- there had to be a devotion that was um, aroused by this particular image that had to have 200 years of longevity. So when the German superior went to uh, Pope Leo XIII and said, I want to have this coronated and be named as miraculous, Pope Leo XIII responded and said, um, we need 200 years of antiquity. And, and the German Palatine superior said, yeah, but in America, 20 years is like 200 yeah. in Europe. So Leo XIII reportedly left and waived that requirement. They say the, miracle, the statue, which is still there in East Harlem, um, it was like lords. There were crutches hanging off of pillars. I mean, there's two front entrances to the church because, and this is, this is true, for two weeks they would have continuous visitors to the church. You'd go in one door and just keep walking. You'd have like a sec- few seconds in front of the statue. There were shoots in the sanctuary. When I mean like shoots in the floor because people would donate baby clothes. Women who couldn't conceive would go and pray for a miracle. And so many of them conceived children that they would donate the, ch- the baby clothes of the child's first year to the church to give to poor people. So the church had two front doors because of the... Con- and this is all backed up by New York Times yeah. reporting and police records at the time. Hundreds there was of thousands. Hundreds of people would just come. Feast, yeah. And where they would keep the church open indefinitely for 24 hours just to accommodate the pilgrims. Wow. So sometimes people would come barefoot from Brooklyn. I mean, that's a hike for those yeah. of you who don't know New York oh, yeah. to East Harlem. Yeah. Um, so where does this all come down with the book? So... The devotion was so strong that um, Orsi, in his attempt to write a book about the Italian community of East Harlem, came across how the, the, the continuing theme was this shrine to Our Lady of Mount Carmel was the center of the entire community. Yeah. Probably the epicenter of the whole Italian-American world, yes. if you want to take a, a spotlight on the 20s. Yeah. If you asked me if someone was going to read a book, this is it, and I'll tell you why. Hmm. Beside, and it's not, you're going to think it's a Catholic book, it's not. It's not. What I found, what happened is Orsi, from what I've read, um, entitled the book about the Madonna of 115th Street because it was so dominant to the neighborhood. It was, it was, it was the center of the whole orbit of the neighborhood. But what I found was when he describes the Italian-American family, which is not in hagiographical, uh, panegyrical terms, when he, he talks about the real day-to-day life, I, I don't think anyone has ever hit the nail on the head right. as well as he did. That's a good way to put it. Um, it you you, you just, look at the book and you think, oh, well, do I care about Italian East Harlem up until the 1950s? Eh. Like, you're like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, okay, obviously this, everyone has It table seems does. like it's going to be a lot more myopic exactly. and like focused just than exactly what I was going to yeah. say. And then you start reading it and you're like, this is way bigger than yeah. this neighborhood. Yes. It's, it, it's up there with it's, it's with Gambino. Yeah. It's one of those like must reads. This is like a required to get right. in the club. Right. And I, I would say to those of you out there who have not read the book, first of all, I'd say to those of you out there, if you're in the New York area or you're coming to the New York area from around the country, as Pat points out, there used to be lines to get five seconds in front of the statue. And for better or worse, today you can go up to Harlem and have as much time as you want. And I've done it, and it is a moving experience. Uh, to be there, particularly if you know the history. So if you're in the area, go up to Harlem, go to 115th Street, and go see the Palatines that are still there. Uh, Father Chris Salvatore, a good friend of ours, the last Italian Palatine in the country, um, go up and see them and be there with 
uh, the Blessed Mother, if you're a person of faith, take an opportunity to pray at this very important shrine. But in either way, if you're an atheist or a daily communicant Catholic, I highly recommend you read this book because it is one of the best in our experience. It's very intimate, too. It's very intimate. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like it gets into people's like real reasons for worshiping, you know, not just not just this Madonna, but any Madonna. Like you know, why do we do these things? Why do we worship yeah. these saints? And like very intimate. He interviews people um, who were who were there, and he follows up with them. Obviously, like later on when they're older. So people also have like the, I feel like the um, vantage point of hindsight. Like it is so much more bigger than just a story about the saint of the community or whatever, it's it's a, a real look back at us and mm-hmm. what makes us tick. And that's really? what this show's about, what mm-hmm. makes us tick. Mm-hmm. Um, so go out and get it. Now, you move on in our history series here, and, you know, I am a great student of the fascist period in Italy and its effects in the United States. I can give you ten recommendations on that. I mean, there's not... There's a handful of books written, all of which I think are enjoyable, Um the U.S. and Mussolini by DeSantis, The United States and Fascist Italy by Mignone, um, Mussolini and Fascism by Diggins, Black Shirts in Little Italy, which is my uh, probably my favorite by Canestraro. Um, and there's, as ugly as history can be, there's really enjoyable stuff on the fascist period in Italy. It's an interesting period. Um, Dennis Mack Smith, his bio of Mussolini is um, obviously one of the more famous ones, or Bosworth's bio of Mussolini. Um, Why do you recommend those? Uh, they're two of the more comprehensive introductory ones, uh, but I think the, the but they don't just talk about Mussolini. I'm assuming that's why you're recommending. No, them. they're they're just flat out bios. Those two, but the other books are about fascism and its effect in the United States, mm-hmm. which I find immensely fascinating. Yeah, you do. We need to kind of jump in a minute because yeah. I'm here listening to you. This is your baby. Mm-hmm. You should come up with a hundred top books. Yeah, I should do that. And call it the Italian American Library. Yeah, and because I, I never knew this book that you're just mentioning now. It's the first I've heard of it. Really? I would love to read. Absolutely. Well, Holding off on him. We should do like a little like at it's least the, the five of us should do a book club. So we force ourselves and then digest them, and maybe maybe that's how the book club goes. We take one every you know couple months, but it is true. They're they're great works, and people I think will enjoy them. Uh, I think that they say a lot about us. Um, now, you know, again, we covered World War II from the perspective of fascism in the United States uh, and in the approach, but then, of course, the uh, amazing contributions we made during the war. There's a book called Humble, The Humble and the Heroic, uh, Wartime Italian-Americans by Salvatore Lagumina, and that's a, that's a highly recommended book of this experience that we had as, you know, um, the highest percentage of the fighting force, but also uh, fighting, in some cases, through our own historic motherland, and then, of course, Lawrence de Stasi wrote Una Storia Segreta about the um, internment. And that's a book that I think made huge waves because when it came out, it was really a shock to a lot of people that this even happened. And I think that's the book that prompted all of these conversations in Congress about apologies and about um, this secret history. I mean, it's called A Secret History, and it really was transformative to the Italian-American experience. Nobody knew this stuff was out there. Um, and speaking of Lagumina, he also wrote a great book called WAP on anti-Italianism. I haven't read either of those. You, you should read those. Those are really yeah. WAP is really like it, it'll make your skin crawl a little bit, but it's very very useful. Um, but it, in, into the post-war history we go, and another one that I think all of us might have read and we talked about a little bit on the show is 
Santa Pietro's The Godfather Effect. And mm. that is just... He's been on our show. Yeah, Tom he's been on the show. Uh, I can't recommend that guests. book enough. Yeah, it's terrific. Another memoir slash... We were just talking about this earlier off mic. A memoir slash history. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. Um, where Tom talks about growing up. Again, kind of another Italian-American who grew up in a, in a waspy... I think it's New Jersey. No, he might have grew up in a New York neighborhood. I forget which one it was, but I think it was New York. And his experience he really he's the opposite of where like Maria Lorino is talking about being Italian so Italian in this kind of waspy neighborhood he's he was raised like waspy yeah and then he sees the Godfather movie and for some reason it it just it just opens this part of him up he like just something happens inside of him and he realizes like I'm half Italian and it just changes the trajectory of his life. Uh, I love the Godfather effect because I love this idea of exploring. It explores um, how we as Italian Americans in this process of assimilation are affected by popular representations of us. So, like, it's not about I'm offended by this or I'm not offended by this. It's about almost when the mythology becomes the source of your identity. And yep. I just think that's amazing because yeah. that, that so often happens. And, and you get a whole generation. Like I remember when The Sopranos came out, I was at a conference at NIAF. I was a teenager. And they were asking about whether it was really going to be damaging. And uh, somebody pointed out a fact that uh, like 70-something percent of Italian-American college students polled said that they watched the show and they related to it because it was similar to their life. But, you know, less than 1% of the Italian population has ever been assumed to have any kind of association mm. Mm. with any kind of criminality. And it's like, how much is, is your identity driven by these kind of uh, popular media representations, fictitious representations that you've seen before? How much of your identity are you taking from right. that? Yeah. And I think that's what he, that's part of his work. It's you know? part of what he's saying. It also is, I think, an ongoing theme that... Um, we see the mob in Italian mob movies less than yeah. other groups Brilliant. see the mob. That's a great point. We, we, we see through that yeah. pretty we quickly. We focus on the things that resonate with us yeah. in those depictions, many of us. Yes. And that's kind of what Tom, Tom's book's about. Yeah. That, that's what, what resonated and wasn't the underworld or, or, or like, you know, the, the, the crime and the murder. It was... It's the family stuff. It was the family stuff. Yeah. It was, and it was also the character yeah. of the characters. Yeah, that's that, that's a book that I again would put on the list. I think if we're going to do the must list, yeah, it's like a special book. It is a special, special book. book. Yeah, and you know, sticking on this topic of, uh, and it's again something we discussed in in the same episode, which is Joe Colombo and the Italian American Unity League, which I love. His son Anthony, and uh, a writer by the name of Don Capria just released a book called Columbo, The Unsolved Murder. I think it's a really enjoyable read. Um, it's obviously written by his son, so there's a little bit of family bias into it. But interesting chapter in our history that's often underexplored, and here's a new book out there that I... It's a, it's a nice pocket of history, like a little you know deep dive right. into a, an interesting chapter to me. Um, and, and we've gotten through the timeline of the experience. There's a couple of books that I think are really good overall in like the Italian character, that I think we should just close with, you know, Barzini's The Italians, mm -hmm. The Fine Italian Hand, um, From Caesar to the Mafia, these sort of overarching stories. Uh, Bill Emmett, the economist's um, Italian guy, right, his the, the, the Italian expert, 
uh, wrote just recently wrote a book called Good Italy, Bad Italy that, mm. that deals with like Italy's strengths and weaknesses in the modern world. Uh, I think it's fascinating. Um, Tobias Jones, The Dark Heart of Italy. There's a lot of sort of exploration of the darker side of our people. And I'm not even talking about you know, criminals, mob, and this, but like sort of our um, negativity. That, oh, that interesting. I, really I haven't interesting. read that one. That's okay. a good one. Uh-huh. And just recently released is John Hooper's The Italians. Did you read that? Did you I haven't read no. that one. So I think the first, it's so funny, I think the first The Italians is Luigi Barzini. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read that in probably like 10 years. No, like 15 years, 20 yeah. years. And I have actually been, I think I for, I couldn't find it. Like I remember reading it. Is that where he like, he writes essays about Italy that, that were published? I don't remember. Okay, there's this book that I can't find since I first read it 15 years ago. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's called. But I think he, he might have been an Ametagon writing about Italians in Italy. So Pepe Severnini? What's the book called? Oh, you're talking about, uh, about Pepe Severnini. Because he's, he, it's... Um... It, all I remember is like essays. Like yeah. Maybe they were all published in the New Yorker. I don't no, know. No, it's, it's Pepe Severnini you're thinking of. It's called... Um... I just remember there was one essay where he talks about Board this map guy. Roadmap to the Italian mind. He goes back, this one guy, um, old man, goes back, saves, comes to America, works all his life, saves his money, can't wait to go back to Italy. When he goes back to Italy, of course, what is he? He's the Metagon. So, yeah, you're talking about it's, Chow, it's never the same. You're talking about Bella Figura by Pepe Chow, I think Chow, that might be it. Chow, was it? Chow, no, Chow America? No, that's no. not it. Neither of these are it. No? I have not been able to find it since the know. first time I read it. I, I, I'll go. I, I'll, I'll check out Barzini. a fantastic read. I'll, and I'll see if maybe the par- that's it. Barzini says in a lot of things, <coughs> this will never change about Italy, and with 10 years it was all gone. Wow. He talks about abortion and divorce, and he's like, oh, wow. this will never happen in Italy. And within 14, 10 to 14 years, it's over. Well, it's just that he just, there were certain things Italian, so it would always be, be... When did he write it? 62, 64. See, it's interesting, right? I'm, I'm, I, for those of you, we're talking about books... I'm a huge audiobook guy. My iPod is mostly audiobooks and Neapolitan music and Lumanti. Um, but I'm, as I was driving here today, I've been listening to a book called The White War, the history of the Italian campaign in World War One, from the, the Italian perspective. Um, and I'm just listening as I'm driving here to uh, a recollection of Barzini. I, I didn't know this, was the most famous journalist outside of Denunzio in Italy during the war and a war correspondent. And he he was so pro-war that he wanted to describe this heroic struggle. And when he got to the front and realized it was basically a slaughter, he finally couldn't bring himself to write this anymore and and propagandize it. But I didn't realize Barzini was so... um, I sort of thought The Italians was written and sort of released out there into the popular ethos and uh, just took off but he was very very famous in Italy as mm. a as a journalist I didn't realize that so it's interesting to think of the assuredness with which he describes an unchanging Italy as it as it changes um it's one of those ones that I've always said I'm going to get to my grandfather tried to get me to read it when I was a kid oh, I mean and I just it just gets backed up on my list but it, it's definitely there and that's actually a good place for us to close because I'm sure Many people out there who are passionate about this stuff, like us, might have read many of these and might have just as extensive of a list that we're all backed up to read. And uh, the, the joy in finding a new book on this topic is wonderful. 
but it only backs up the list further. So I think there's a, a lifetime ahead for all of us of reading this stuff. And I hope, for those of you out there that are listening, uh, we'll be reading them together and sharing them. And if you have recommendations that we missed, um, like I said, some of this stuff we knew we wouldn't have time for on the episode, uh, but there is some stuff out there that we might not know about, and I would love to get the recommendations of our audience uh, and share them amongst ourselves, share them amongst those of you who participate with us, particularly in the new neighborhood. And uh, and they can visit our show page. To, we'll have all of the books linked um, and listed. Yeah, the, these books will all be on the show page. If you are downloading this on iTunes, make a point to go over to the ItalianAmericanExperience.com to the actual show page, and uh, there'll be links to where you can find uh, as many of these books as you can still find out there. And if not, I highly recommend the used bookstores on eBay. And mm-hmm. you know, the Strand here in New York City is a got a huge section on Italy and Italian American stuff. And uh, I hope that this is a conclusion that everybody enjoyed for our four part series on Italian American history. Um, they are a little bit more sedated, these episodes, than the normal screaming cacophony of us yelling at each other about a topic that we're passionate about. But I hope they serve as a good entry point for what we're trying to do with the show and a little bit of a roadmap to understanding some of the stuff we continually reference and will continue to reference further in deeper dive episodes. So uh, this is the end for Italian American <laughs> history, but the beginning of a new year and a lot more to come. So thank you for being with us. As always, grazie. And uh, we'll be with you next time. If you want your life to be great, from the moment you are teeny weeny, you get built up with linguine, then you bring on your more. You get chicken cacciatore. When your mama's a paisano, you have got the world.